guess you ain't from around here. Yeah, I guess you ain't from around here. Yeah, look at what we did in the past year. Yeah, a lot of green like a pasture, a lot of busted like a pastor. Yeah, enjoy it while I'm still here. I've been on the up and disappeared like the rapture. No mad raps in the cheap shirt. I'm just shopping in my Sears. I ain't no soothsayer, just a truth seeker, booth tweaker. Might just make a meal while I'm getting meeker. Might just make a meal while I'm getting meeker. Do I sound clear? Can you hear the soothing timbre in your ear? Look at what we did in the past year. Yeah, look at what we did. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Ebbs and Flows. That's Esoteric Bible Study for Love of Wisdom. I'm Dan Unaki Dan, and I'm here with Nomad and Joshua. What's up, guys? Hey, hey. Excited to dive into the word again. Me too. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Um, I'm glad, Joshua, you're back with us and you're healthy and everything's all good, man uh i'm really looking to hear what you have to say about adam and eve uh last time i think uh nomad kind of nomad and i checked on you and you're honked out <laughs> i'm really sorry about that i was <laughs> bad shape I, I i never got no tested but i suspect it was covid or something like that <laughs> no worries man um i caught a little bit of your show with uh uh local listens about um oh Making masculinity, masculinity great again. Yeah, making <laughs> masculinity great again. And uh, when you brought up the number 42, I thought it was pretty interesting uh, because people say that math is 42, uh, M-A-T-H. When you go into the gematria and you add it all up, it equals 42. And I thought... Oh, really? Yeah, I thought that was pretty fascinating. And then the other thing that I thought was fascinating is because we've been doing the Bible study, it made me think about things completely different. And... There's seven days of creation, right? And on the first day, the yeah. second day, after six days of creation, you get to what? The number 42, seven times six. And then oh. so the seventh day would be uh, uh, 49. Uh, but on the seventh, on the sixth day, as his work was finished, and you had mentioned the idea of the 42 reaching like adulthood or manhood uh, of wisdom of of having that knowledge of that's why you have to be 42 to study the kabbalah and whatnot um and you said that you were looking forward to becoming 42 <laughs> so i thought that was kind of interesting that on the sixth day he rested and seven days you know presumably i don't know how many hours of daylight there is in a, a day or whatnot but uh, what is it? Twelve? I don't know if I don't think it's actually twelve though. It's like less than that or more than that, right? Depending upon the time of the year. But so I was just looking at sevens. So maybe a day was seven hundred days or seven hundred seven thousand days. I don't know because. Uh, but anyways, so I don't know if my math really works out, but. Still interesting. Oh, I was pretty rad, man. <laughs> yeah, those details kind of blew my mind. Uh, the 42 generations was from yep. Abraham to Christ. Right. Yeah. Also, yep. So and, uh, you know, it talks about like this in the context of fruit and things of that nature. So here we're sitting here looking at Genesis. And <laughs> of course, that those themes run through it quite a bit. 
Um, but I think what made me appreciate parts in Genesis where it talks about the genealogies was knowing after I learned about the genealogy in Matthew talking about the 42 generations, um, it helped me better appreciate the genealogies in Genesis because I thought, Oh, okay. You know, so there really is this importance to the seed. And of course, then when you start studying what's going on here in the serpent with, with the serpent in the garden, rather, um, that whole seed war thing becomes more apparent. And, uh, I think it's, that's why it's so vital to, you know, understand that genealogy. Um, yeah. And another, I think, uh, important part of the genealogy is, you know, a lot of people will think that the Bible is all metaphorical, but we, we get so many specific details uh, that I just, is, I have a hard time believing that it's all metaphorical. And it seems to be very specific when it is being metaphorical. So just another point. Personal. Yeah, and I, I've kind of encountered that with people that I'm talking to, and maybe they lack the confidence to maybe answer a question, but they want to still seem like they have authority. So they'll just say, oh, it's metaphorical. So it's almost like a cop out where they could just say like, well, I don't know. There's no shame in saying, I don't know. <laughs> and let's figure yeah. it out together, you know? So what do you think, Dan? I think it's literal. Yeah, I think there's just multiple levels to it. I don't think it has to be either right. or exactly i think it can be both it's and both. even yeah. more than that um like morgan has said totally. before it's like a living translation it's alive so it like grows with you so it like changes as you change because you notice different things that you didn't notice before so exactly. as you get smarter you even notice more but if you're dumber you don't notice anything so you can you can take that on many different levels you know and that goes back to what i thought before is it's alchemical so there is a basic level for everybody. There's a more adept, uh, like initiate level and an adept level. So it's your level of understanding right. can take it to new places based on what you already uh, are aware of or know about. So in, in that respect, I think there's many different levels. And I think it could be physical as well as uh, alchemical and it could be spiritual and it could be cosmic and it can be metaphorical. It can be all those things because uh, I, I believe that a lot of these things are, you know, written about the stars in some, in some instances uh, there's very much some cosmological um, association to it, but then that cosmological totally. association comes right back to us because we are the stars we are a representation of the stars here on the planet so it's this very like uh push and pull or give and take or like a, a symbiotic relationship between us and the cosmos and and all of those yeah. things that play out uh play out in this reality that we live in and so uh it definitely has connective tissue everywhere you know yeah do you have something else, Joshua? Yeah, um, I know I might be getting a little ahead of myself here, but uh, I noticed you still have the Job tab up. So since we were talking about the stars and all, um, it just reminded me there's a part in Job when it talks about creation, like we're studying here in Genesis, but it discusses about how the stars sang together. Mm -hmm. um, in that time. So when Dan was talking about that, I just couldn't help it. It just reminded me of that. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna be bringing up Job tonight for sure. Job forty one. Uh, I wish it was Job forty two because then that would go right into what we just discussed. <laughs> well, there's a lot of good Jobs. <laughs> uh, I'm just jobing you. Um, but that verse right there, thirty eight. That. I mean, it's it's talking about the foundations of the earth and and uh, and, and Genesis in general. So that that actually really does uh, fit nicely. Mm. Um, so to start off today, I want to just go through Genesis chapter three one more time. Just read it in full. We already talked about it on the last episode, but like I said, Joshua uh, was kind of in and out with us. So we want to go back through it again, get his opinion on it. And also because we can now that we've sat on it for a couple of weeks. Now we can bring forth maybe some new knowledge because I've been thinking about Adam and Eve for <laughs> a couple of weeks now. It's been on my brain and everything that I've been doing has been relating to it. And there's been multiple synchronicities uh, throughout and uh Ironically, we just did the 88 last night and talked about Aries. And if we hadn't have skipped last week, I wouldn't have been able to have this knowledge for this episode. I would have had to, we would have had to go back. So, uh, in a way, it kind of worked out the way that it was supposed to. And um, that's pretty well, much there's some divine intervention too, because then you had a flood. Yeah, right yeah get, like flooded out of your house or something <laughs> yeah my road flooded and so i had to call my grandpa so he could come get his truck and drive through the water it's probably only about a foot and a half deep but it uh it flooded the road uh and so like my car is not very tall um so i would have got it all jacked up uh so but uh so yeah it's just meant to be man it's just <laughs> it was meant to be so um yeah why don't we go ahead and uh get started nomad and uh with genesis chapter three all right genesis chapter three starting in verse one and the serpent hath been subtle above every beast of the field which jehovah god hath made and he saith unto the woman, Is it true that God hath said, Ye do not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman saith unto the serpent, Of the fruit of the trees of the garden we do eat, and of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden God hath said, Ye do not eat of it, nor touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent saith unto the woman, Dying, ye do not die, for God doth know that in the day of your eating of it your eyes have been opened, and ye have been as God, knowing good and evil. And the woman seeth that the tree is good for food, and that it is pleasant to the eyes, and the tree is desirable to make wise. And she taketh of its fruit, and eateth, and giveth also to her husband with her, and he doth eat. And the eyes of them both are opened, and they know that they are naked. And they sow fig leaves, and make to themselves girdles. And they hear the sound of Jehovah God walking up and down in the garden at the breeze of the day, and the man and his wife hide themselves from the face of Jehovah God in the midst of the trees of the garden. And Jehovah God calleth unto man and saith to him, Where art thou? And he saith, Thy sound I have heard in the garden, and I am afraid, for I am naked, and I hide myself. And he saith, Who hath declared to thee that thou art naked? Of the tree of which I have commanded thee not to eat, hast thou eaten? 
And the man saith, The woman whom thou didst place with me, she hath given me of the tree, and I do eat. And Jehovah God saith to the woman, What is this that hast thou done? And the woman saith, The serpent hath caused me to forget, and I do eat. And Jehovah God saith unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, cursed art thou above all the cattle and above every beast of the field. And on thy belly dost thou go, and dust thou dost eat all the days of thy life. And enmity I put between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. He doth bruise thee the, the head, and thou dost bruise him the heel. Unto the woman he said, Multiplying, I multiply thy sorrow, and thy conception in sorrow dost thou bear children. And towards thy husband is thy desire, and he doth rule over thee. And to the man he said, Because thou hast hearkened to the voice of thy wife, and dost eat of the tree concerning which I have charged thee, saying, Thou dost not eat of it, cursed is the ground on thine account, and sorrow thou dost eat of it all days of thy life. And thorn and bramble it doth bring forth to thee, and thou hast eaten the herb of the field. By the sweat of thy face thou dost eat bread till thy return unto the ground. For out of it hast thou been taken, for dust thou art, and dust thou turnest back. And the man calleth his wife Eve, for she hath been mother of all living. And Jehovah God doth make to the man and to his wife coats of skin, and doth clothe them. And Jehovah God saith, Lo, the man was as one of us, as to the knowledge of good and evil. And now, lest he send forth his hand, and have taken also of the tree of life, and eaten, and lived to the age. Jehovah God sendeth him forth from the garden of Eden to serve the ground from which he hath been taken. Yeah, he casteth out the man, and causeth to dwell at the east of the garden of Eden, the cherubs and the flame of the sword, which is turning itself round to guard the way of the tree of life. Man, I really appreciate you. you reading that. Thanks. Uh, Thank I you. really like that this version calls him Jehovah as well, because um, so a lot of the newer versions replace God's name with something. Generic. Right. Yeah. And that's why I use the young literal translation, because it is more specific with the actual names of the gods being referenced, as well as certain words like messenger and angel. It will be very specific and use messenger. Um, it's more true to the original Hebrew version. And in the Hebrew I got up here, um, they use Yahweh whenever you were saying Jehovah. So those two seem to be interchangeable as well, okay, which interesting. Uh, from what I can tell, it's uh, yod Hey vav Hey, which is like Y-H-W-H. So I guess that would be like the, um, but if you, depending on what vowels you put in it, you could say it differently. So I think they basically mean the same thing. Oh, right. but I yeah, the, the Hebrew other... language has yeah, changed it, so right? much, right? From a uh, from sort of no vowels to uh, having certain accent marks to sort of represent vowels. Is that right? Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's a fairly complex language, but that's what I love about it is because it was given to the Hebrew people, you know, by Job. Totally. <laughs> so well and this is what how it's being written as far as we understand right it's being written in hebrew so that's why i think it's important to try and get as close to the original context of what the author might have been trying to get across yeah yeah oh um i didn't want to I, I do have a few points to bring up but i didn't want to 
do it yeah. before you guys. Uh, for sure. Uh, go, go ahead, Joshua, because last time uh, Nomad and I got Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't know. <laughs> and if, forgive me if I repeat anything that you guys did say, because, like, again, I was in and out. I'm, so I had a little bit of brain fog. But um, so what I think is interesting here, the first thing that jumped out at me, just seeing it on the screen here, is how similar the uh, word serpent is to repent. Mm. Um are repenting from sin specifically so because later on in exodus moses raises the serpent up on the, the cross and yeah, actually look at it repents would be like a perfect anagram wouldn't it <laughs> yeah right so i never noticed that until now and it and it reminds me also that how a serpent has scales um scales of justice for instance like a play on words and that's symbolic of dan the tribe of dan was always represented by a snake and a set of scales which is libra essentially by the way uh, zodiacally speaking um so i think it's interesting that the serpent kind of shows up here in the fall which it's also emblematic of that uh season you know so mm -hmm. i, I that never noticed that before until just now. Um, of course, we're talking about trees and things like that. Um, so, you know, I don't know if there had been a winter yet, but I've often wondered if maybe this was like the beginning of if, if the fall was when summer, the endless summer ended finally. Ended. Yeah. Fall. I've, mm. I've often felt that and I feel like it's, there's nothing that really tells us that there was winter before. Right. If that makes sense. Death, so I think right? it's a fair, it would be an assumption to assume there was winter. So, yeah, that's, and not to mention, we got a serpent here and they don't like winter. <laughs> so, you right. know, he wouldn't be milling about uh, if, if it were winter. Um one of the other things here that I would point out is how it had the ability to speak um, and reason. And, and, you know, it's being called the subtlest uh, or more, most cunning. I can't remember which word it used there. Yeah. Their crafty, position. cunning, subtle. And, yeah. Um, it apparently also had the ability to walk. So, you know, Oftentimes when the serpent's displayed in modern day culture, it's slithering up to Eve and all this, but really it had legs apparently um, and was walking around, you know, or it had wings or something. Well, um, I was going to say, what did it actually say? Because it could have been just flying maybe perhaps as well, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Is it? Yeah. Did it mention specifically in here? Or say, what, what verse well, the curse that? says that he'll be crawling. So it seems to imply that whether whatever other mode of transportation it had, it was taken from it. Right. There it is in verse 14, it starts to talk about the curse. Yeah. And Jehovah God saith unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, cursed art thou above all the cattle and above every beast of the field. On thy belly dost thou go and the dust thou dost eat all days of thy life. So. It doesn't specifically say it was walking, but it does imply that it had some other form of uh, transportation. You're right. And uh, one of the other things, we might have to go a little bit up uh, for this. I'm not sure exactly where I cut off, but oh, yeah. Um, so 
uh, and I'm, again, I may have mentioned this last time, but all the senses were involved with the fall, except for the sense of smell. Not mm-hmm. once does it mention anything about the fruit smelling good, even though you would think with, you know, f- fruits and flowers and all that, you would typically associate a fragrance, but yet that's never mentioned here. So again, uh, with it not being mentioned, we can only assume that it wasn't right. So, um, and, and then think about how can you sin with your smell? I mean, for me, the closest thing I can think of is maybe the vanity of wearing cologne or perfume and trying to attract attention to yourself. That could be like the only way I can imagine uh, sinning with the sense of smell. So I think it's you know maybe worth mentioning how that played a part in this as well, because um, it doesn't necessarily describe it specifically here, but uh, it seems to be implied with some of the other things I've read that the serpent pressed up against Eve um, and that this is where we get the term Naga, which refers to the serpent because Naga actually means to press up against. And um, so kind of reminds me of like the boa constrictor, how it approaches its prey, right? It wraps around yeah. it. And or Python. Which exactly. we see uh, throughout mythology, you know, I believe it was Apollo who slayed the great python and put it in the pit. Uh, and then, the, and then, what was that? Pythia. Pythia, yeah. And then the oracle would like summon the spirit from the pit. And then uh, mm-hmm. rulers would come from all over the world to get her advice on how to like take over and how to rule and all of this, right? So I think we do, see, that's a great point that you bring up. And I think that's, you see that even in the the lettering in the Hebrew, um, when you look at it, uh, I forget exactly. I think it's pet, um, but it's the symbol is that very much that of like an enclosing uh, kind of shape, and it's sort of symbolized as the snake. Can you look? Up, oh, like uh, the serpent consuming itself, that motif. Yeah, or just you know, like um, like like you said, like a vice or like gripping, like a slowly. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah slowly uh, uh gripping it oh and uh, another point to kind of make with that in mind is that um we were given the breath of life the ruach hakadesh and so how does a python kill by squeezing the breath out of its victims right so it's almost like the enemy of god in a sense in that regard polarity yeah yeah, yeah totally Um, squeezing the life essence literally out of the the vessel and well um, go ahead um so he gives her a lie too so this is where we see the attempt to twist god's word um so it it's really interesting too because like there might be something there to dissect like what was the specific lie and this is what i like to call the oldest trick in the book mm. so you know there <laughs> we are in the bible the serpent's got the oldest trick in the book oh you can be god you can have wisdom i think it was what when he told eve she could be wise that's what seemed to really appeal to her was having wisdom and um and you know of course you can be god you won't die so on and so forth and so this seems to be like 
knowing that if the creation disobeyed God and did these things, they would then have to die. Oh, his he's got some uh, something to show on the screen. Tet. Okay, I see. Yes, yeah, so tet, and it means like to surround. Is that the word for serpent? Yeah, so it's like the letter, but it's the letter is like symbolized by the serpent. And so you know how, because the letters oh. in Hebrew have also like sort of meanings to them. Yeah. Um, like we would sort of have like A for apple. It's sort of like pet is for snake <laughs> kind of thing mm. is how I understand it. Anyway, I'm very novice in learning all of this, but it always stood out to me. Or to like grasp or something like that. Mm, pet. Yeah. Well, so the symbol is like an X with like a circle around it. So to surround. Oh, yeah, whoa. That's the symbol for Christ too. In some cases, the, uh, chi row type thing where x is oftentimes associated with christ well i've heard that that could potentially the x itself be the symbol of the antichrist uh and oh. i find it interesting that we're going into you know elon musk's project that's going to be coming in the future is x.com and if anything was like a slow grip of society that would be it right when everyone uh, has to use this new monetary system x.com and it's like the everything app that's kind of what he wants to make it um, 24. So I, yeah, so I, I, that's how I correlated it. 24th letter in the well, alphabet, so it's a six. What was that again? Can you repeat that, please? X is the 24th letter in the alphabet, so two plus four, six. Interesting. Interesting. Oh, uh, the x.com thing you mentioned reminds me of uh what ukraine has going on it's called the dia d-i-i-a app and uh basically it's it's all digital platform where all government documents they're no longer paper they're all digital um the government uses this app to basically do everything that you know for the people that and so i think that's part of that antichrist system yeah Kind of and a lot of a lot of the code that is run on machines on computers is run on python code which is another right. uh. <laughs> and there's python derived squalene in the vaccine for the first time ever that was normally derived from sharks but this is the first time ever that they did it from pythons was when they created the covid vaccine yeah and then just one more thing and then dan i want to hear what you have to say um but when i had my vision right of the serpent that was offering me wisdom i that i had to do research to figure out what kind of snake it was because i was so curious and it was so detailed but once i did the research it looked like a python oh. um can you look up what word it uses in the in the hebrew for the serpent yeah i got um, it right here because i've heard uh pretty sure it's nahas yeah and then look up what nahas strong's h 5175 nahash 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 can you look up what that means okay so that means serpent. yeah so it, i mean it seems to essentially mean serpent um snake image of serpent or fling serpent yeah i don't maybe like the root of it would have some other meaning let's look at the root of it 
So this is interesting. So the root is enchantment, divine, or enchanter. Those are kind of the main uh, descriptive words for the root, which yeah. is, yeah, so very interesting. He told her everything she wanted to hear. <laughs> right. Right. Um, A practice, divination, divine, observe science, learn by experience, diligently observe, practice fortune-telling, take as an omen. So those are kind of some of the other words around the roots of Nakash. So one of the things that I asked Nomad in the last episode, uh, Joshua, was what do you think the serpent is? Because is a serpent uh, a metaphor for something? Is a serpent an actual deity? Is a serpent uh, the adversary to God? What is it uh, we also talked about is the serpent... Uh, uh, like a metaphorical term for sexual intercourse. Um, so, wh what do you think that it is representing here? Well, um, to, if if we're gonna kind of take the literal approach that that it's an entity and such, um, we could consider the fact that it could be a seraphim. Uh, type of angel a lot of times those were described as being uh, fiery serpents and things of that nature which did fly I, I guess so that could be one way to look at it is that it was an incredibly high-ranking angel um, but what I find interesting about that is that it may not be the same exact person or, or character rather that we're thinking of with Lucifer because Lucifer is often referred to as a cherubim, which is a slightly different class of angel. So it would almost seem to imply like they're all Satan, which means adversary. Um, but that specifically it may have been a, a different entity. Um, and in some cases they call this angel Azazel. Um but I don't know for sure if that's necessarily true because he's a lot of times associated with a goat, which here we have a snake. So I don't know exactly what the identity of the entity is, um, but I do think that, you know, it's definitely serpentine in nature. Um, so even in a spiritual sense, it's probably like, like I said, a, a, a seraphim. Um, now that said, if we're going to take like a metaphorical approach, although I still think it was a real entity, um, there's always that dual meaning potential as well. So I think it could also relate to what the Hindus call the Kundalini energy, which is somewhat sexual in nature. Um, or it can be rather it's, it's awakened in that way rather. So it would almost seem to imply that this energy could have been dormant in Adam and Eve. Because after all, we do see that after God created Adam and Eve, he says that man will leave his family to cleave unto woman. And this is before they had even had sex. Sex hadn't happened until this. So I think it was something that God planned for them to do and saw that it was you know possible, but hadn't introduced them to it yet. And uh, so what, kind of what I see happening here with the serpent is, you know, he's preempting this 
by introducing her to that. So yes, I do think there's an intercourse thing there, but it's more in the way of rape. Um, it's not the way it was intended. And you often see that that's what Satan do, does, quote unquote, is that he inverts um, God's word or twists it or he never comes up with anything on his own. He's always perverting and, and twisting what is already powerful. Um, so in this case, I think what we've seen is that it, he's taken sex, which was meant to glorify God, because after all, we were commanded to uh, be fruitful and multiply. But in this case, we see how the serpent kind of intervened. And this is why I don't think it's purely metaphorical, is because if you take that stance here, then there's no serpent seed. Mm -hmm. And I right. think acknowledging that serpent seed is very crucial to understand what we're seeing today. Um, yes. And so in that context, we see that the serpent raped Eve, charmed her, whatever it might've done, kind of reminds me of Mowgli in the jungle book, like when the pythons hypnotizing him, you know, I can't mm. remember what the term is for that, but there's a um, trance. I think there's a term applied to like how the snakes can like hypnotize their prey. So it almost reminds me of that, but what he's doing there, yeah, right. And and we read, I think it was in Genesis one twenty six, where God gives dominion over the whole uh, earth to Adam. You know, so he has dominion over all the kingdoms, the earth, so on and so forth. Now I don't know that he gave that to Eve, but I know for sure he gives it to Adam. And what I think is very interesting about this scene is that the serpent isn't tricking Adam. He knew better, I think, because after all, he named the serpent. He named all the other animals. I mean, he was probably fairly wise, I'm sure, to a point. But Eve he even named Eve, right? He even named Eve, right? Yeah, exactly. But Eve was just born yesterday, right? Or, or she was just born. So like, I think comparatively, she had less wisdom, perhaps. And so I think the serpent was playing on her deficits, like or her insecurity of maybe not knowing as much or, you know, like, oh, there's more to know. I would like to be wise. Oh, uh, you know, you won't die. You'll live forever. And it, it's just kind of interesting to see like what he seeded in her mind to cause her to engage in the act of eating the fruit. And um, once she disobeyed God, now the decree of death, uh, disobedience, sin, all that enters into the garden. And I think the serpent knew that if he could get God's creation to break the law, God is, of course, infallible and would have to enforce his own laws. So he used God's word against God himself in this case, because he knew that if they uh, did what they were told not to do, he would be forced to punish them. Um, he would not be able to. And I think in this regard, the serpent was hoping to attack God through attacking Eve and Adam. Um, and the motivation for that could be possibly expanded upon in what we learn in the Quran. And that talks about a, an entity known as Iblis and who was a spirit of uh, I call him a Dijin, actually, a D-D-J-I-I-N, I think it is. 
And he was a being of pure smokeless fire. So again, similar to the fiery serpent kind of motif, but he was very jealous and hot headed in a sense, um, was also very jealous of Adam being a mud man or made of earth. He saw himself as superior to him. So even though we're not given this context in the Genesis story, it seems to suggest what we learned from the Quran that maybe this serpent was indeed Iblis. And he had this uh, envy toward Adam. And because after all, he was fire, he felt like he was superior to this earthen clay vessel that Yahweh had fashioned. And Iblis served um, very closely under Yahweh, apparently, um, until he fell. <laughs> um, but, you know, he, he was just jealous. But what he didn't realize was that Yahweh had actually given the breath of life to Adam and, and given him his own Ruach. So whenever Iblis refused to prostrate himself before Adam and serve him, he was actually denying God. So in a way, we kind of see a similar story reflected there. But, you know, it could also be speculation. But I, I, I think that that helps to color it a little bit. Um, and, and to help understand that, you know, in the fall of man, that was a little bit separate from the fall of Lucifer and his one third of the angels. So as far as what the specific names are, it might, it's pin the tail on the donkey, you know, like we don't really know. Um, it's like a guessing game, but what we can definitely know for sure is that we know them by their fruits, right? <laughs> so we can see Everything. that in both cases, they're kind of deceptive. They twist God's word. But I think that um, what we're seeing today with this life extension technology, you know, get a, get a Neuralink implant and you can have all this wisdom and, you know, live forever and, and so on and so forth. So I think that we're really seeing a resurgence of that, the oldest trick in the book. Uh, so to speak, and during the time we're in now. Um, further down, however, after he eats the fruit, it does talk about how they clothed themselves with fig leaves. Yeah. And I think that that's maybe the last major point I'd like to make is that we're always taught in modern day culture. Again, we see the snake slithering up to Eve. Well, it didn't happen that way. What she eat? An apple? Again. It didn't happen that way. <laughs> so I think that I, I think it's also interesting how Genesis story has been kind of corrupted. Um, because if you can get us to think the serpent, something other than what it is, or we can think that the fig tree was actually an apple tree. Well, now we lose the wisdom of the parable of the fig tree, which is all about in days prophecy that Christ gave us. So I think making that connection is also very important because the type of tree, well, I mean, it, the tree of knowledge was a fig tree. Yeah. Uh, so for whatever reason that was chosen. And I think that that's very telling. And because we'll find uh, the fig mentioned in Genesis. And then you'll also find the fig mentioned in Matthew when Christ is talking about it the end days 
Then fig comes up again in Revelation when the mighty wind or the Ruach HaKadosh shakes the fig tree. And whether or not the figs are ripe, they're cast from the tree. And this is kind of given within the context of summertime. And figs don't reach maturity until about October, November during the fall. (laughs) So I think that it's worth noting that the species of the tree is very important here. And that in the uh, parable of the fig tree with Christ and Matthew, um, the fig tree that he curses has leaves only and no fruit. Well, what do Adam and Eve use to cover their sin? Fig leaves. So in Genesis, the tree has fruit and has leaves. They eat from it then cover themselves with the leaves. And Matthew, which is like the middle of the Bible in that case, uh, the fig tree has no fruit, only leaves. Then we see in Revelation that once again, it's got leaves and fruit, but the fruit doesn't reach maturity. Um, So it almost seems to suggest to me that here we are still in this day and age eating from the fig tree, the tree of knowledge. And with these new technologies and things that we think are improving our lives, they're actually killing us. And um, I mean, I guess there's much more to say about that. One thing I want to say, just I want to push back on it just a little bit. I appreciate the theory, but I am curious on your take because it does specifically say fig leaves, but it's in the previous verses, it's talking about like a tree of life and tree of knowledge. so is, why do you think they're using like different terminologies if they're the same tree? Well, the tree of life is not the same tree. They're two distinct trees. Right. So, you have the tree of life and then the tree of uh, good and evil, right? Yeah. Tree of knowledge of good and evil. So right. I think every technology that we have today comes from that tree. And I understand it's a, you know, a tree <laughs> in a metaphorical sense, possibly there's other ways to look at it. But what I honestly, what I think, and this, this is a little speculation here to try and make sense of this is that um, maybe we showed that Anunnaki uh, Sumerian picture the last time with the, in, the, the two figures standing beside the tree fertilizing it or picking fruits off of it or what have you. I think that maybe what was the case was that these entities could literally eat fruit off of a tree and then gain knowledge from it. And that we were not supposed to eat from that tree for that specific reason that once we did that, we would then be filled with ideas, inspiration, types of things that we weren't supposed to know. And, um, but that I think that tree was specifically for God and his angels, perhaps to eat from not for us. And so when we were tricked into eating from it, um, it says our eyes were opened. Um, but see, we see in this verse here in six, that it was pleasant to her eyes. So her, her physical two eyes were functional and she could see the fruit. Um, but then it, then it opens her eyes <laughs> right in the next verse. It says uh, the eyes of them both are opened. So, you know, does that imply like the mind's eye um, or the ability to have an imagination, you know, uh, to create 
things that maybe are not in God's plan, you know, so it, it really causes me to wonder about that, but, but it doesn't necessarily say the type of fruit. So maybe that's one of the words we can look at there um, where it says like, we're not allowed to eat the fruit or something like that. So that could be an interesting clue to unpack because it seems to me, why would they use fig leaves you know, if they weren't eaten from a fig tree. Um, um, well, yeah, I, go ahead, Dan. Yeah, go ahead if you just had a comment to make. Well, I was just going to say, I, I think that there is probably lots of trees to pick from. Maybe the fig was just the best one for making clothes. I, I just, because to me, it's like they're very specific and using different terminology. I would think that they would just say the fig tree if it was the fig tree and not some other tree that was different than that. But I think it's an interesting theory. And I think we agree on like the concept of it. I think it's just semantics. I don't know if uh, like the fig tree that we know today is like the specific tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil, I guess is my point. Well, the reason I think that is supported by the fact that there's the fig tree uh, prophecy and the parable of the fig tree. I, I right. don't think that Christ would have important. Um, I almost think there's another layer that we haven't uncovered yet, and that's why I bring it up. Uh, maybe we can dive into that deeper sometime. To kind of go with uh, a little bit what uh, Nomad is saying, if if the tree of life and the tree of uh, knowledge is only in the Garden of Eden, if it only exists there in God's uh, like garden, then uh, we we have figs out here in the world. So wouldn't it? I guess to me, oh, it would there it is. be a different tree that maybe doesn't exist in in this uh, realm or reality that we have now. It also says fig in the C part, but that could be figure, like preferred. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> that's what I thought. I saw because I saw that uh -huh. earlier. Actually, I looked this up. <laughs> um figuratively <laughs> that's kind of funny too is it sharing my screen on your side uh, i can stop sharing mine here yeah stop share there we um, go cool uh i wanted to talk about enki because uh when we talk about a serpent being the deity i think um from the sumerian myth it's kind of evident that Enki is kind of associated with that serpent. Um, it says he's the god of creation, intelligence, crafts, water, seawater, lake water, fertility, semen, magic, and mischief. His mm -hmm. symbol is the goat, the fish, and the goat fish, chimera. So I, I remember you said something about a goat, and why would he be the serpent? Well, he was yeah. known as the serpent, uh, the great serpent of sumeria and um i i thought this was interesting too it says uh crafts and creation which is nude mud in uh sumerian and then we are created from the mud right or the ground so the nude mud uh i wonder if that has any connection and then that means creation so i thought that was interesting and it says he was later known as Ea, or A-E, in Akkadian, and is identified by some scholars with Aya in Canaanite religion, 
This name was rendered AOS, Aos in Greek sources. He was originally the patron god of the city Iridu, and there's a celestial constellation called the Iridanus. And I think you said something about Eros earlier, or no? Was it, um, maybe it wasn't Eros. But anyways, the city of Iridu, uh, which Eri means celestial, uh, so the celestial home. But later, the influence of his cult spread throughout Mesopotamia to the Canaanites, Hittites, and Hurrians. He was associated with a southern band of constellations called Stars of Ea, but also with the constellation Asiku, the field, the square of Pegasus, the square of Pegasus. Um, beginning around the second millennium BCE, he was sometimes referred to in writing by the numeric ideogram for 40, occasionally referred to as his sacred number. I think that's very interesting considering 40 days and 40 nights wandering in the desert. Uh, this uh, number 40 appears uh, over and over again uh, in, in the Bible. Uh, the planet Mercury associated with Babylonian Naboo the son of Marduk was in Sumerian times identified with Enki. So you have that connection of the son and the grandfather being once again the same. Uh, many myths about Enki have been collected from various sites stretching from southern Iraq to Levantine coast. He is mentioned in the earliest con uh, extent cuneiform inscriptions throughout the region and was prominent in the third millennium down to the Hellenistic period. The exact name of Enki's name is uncertain. The common translation is Lord of the Earth. The Sumerian En is translated as a title equivalent to Lord and was originally a title given to the high priest. Ki, K-I, means Earth, but there are theories that Ki in this name has another origin, possibly king of unknown meaning or Kur meaning mound. The name Ea is allegedly Hurrian in origin while others claim that is that his name ia is possibly of semitic origin and may be a derivation or derivation from the west semitic root hai meaning life in this case used for spring running water which the iridanus means celestial spring or celestial river because the Don, Don means river. Um, and so the Erie Donus is the celestial river. Uh, in Sumerian, Ea means the house of water. And it was been suggested that this was originally the name for the shrine to the god at Eridu. And um, there's many other things that go on with that. But I wanted to bring up this other thing. Uh, about the constellation Aquarius, um, because in can I uh, riff, weave on that real quick though, Dan? Uh, sure. If could you, would you mind going back? Okay. Yeah. One, uh, there was an image of what I believe is uh, Marduk versus Tiamat. Is that uh, if you go up a little bit on the right there? This one? Yeah, that one. Yeah. So how do how do you think Tiamat fits into this? Maybe uh, because we're seeing there like wings and legs, and that's a serpentine being as well. There's mm -hmm. other depictions of it where it's a little bit more obvious that it's serpentine. Yeah. Um, nice but that 
Could that have perhaps been more of the serpent entity instead of Enki? So or how does that mythology um, line up? I know you guys know a lot more about that than I do. Uh, so Tiamat is basically the rock that we're on right now. Uh, it was Earth. Um, but what happened was Marduk, who became the celestial ruler, he came from another part of the land or from the universe. And when he came in, uh, his, it said like he had like six moons or something with him or nine, one of the two. And these nine other bodies were bumping into other planets along the way and destroying them. Uh, that's kind of why like some of the other planets have these weird anomalies associated with them um, farther farther in the galaxy. And uh, it connected with Tiamat and split Tiamat in two. And Tiamat was like the, the serpent. It was uh, chaos. It was out of control. And it broke Tiamat in two and then half of Tiamat formed the Earth and the other half uh formed the asteroid belt and then um the moon of tiamat was kingu which is the same moon that we have now with the earth it stayed in uh uh it stayed with the other half of tiamat that got broken up or that didn't get breaking up which is now the earth and it stayed with that the moon stayed with us um and then so he was heralded as uh, a great celestial ruler because he's the one that defeated Tiamat, the unruly planet. Um, and so that's why it's interesting that Iridus or Eridanus or Iridu has that celestial meaning in it, the Eerie. Um, and then so that kind of connects with the celestial it means uh sun uh eric's son means son of the celestial ruler so eerie doesn't just mean celestial celestial ruler so the erickson would have been um marduk because he was the son of uh ea from iridu does that make sense because EA is also the lord of water or the lord of rivers that flow from his hands. When you see up here, you see the springs coming from his body um, and the lamb below his feet. I never noticed the lamb. <laughs> that's pretty wild. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, and the Iridanu uh, flows from the heel of Orion in the constellations. So I would almost wonder if Orion and uh, was this Inky? I would almost wonder if the two of them had a, uh, some type of a parallel just simply because of that, perhaps. Yeah. Um, so with the Aquarius uh, constellation, it says it lies in the region of the sky, which sometimes referred to as the sea because it contains a number of the constellations with names associated with water, the Pisces, which is the fish, the Iridanus, the river, and Cetus, which is the whale, which I also think is interesting in like the tale of Jonah, right? Uh, like the other zodiac constellations, Aquarius was cataloged by the Greek astronomer Ptolemy, 
Um, but then down here, it says that in Babylonian mythology, Aquarius is identified as Gula, the great one, the god Ea himself. And in, in Egyptian tales, the constellation was said to represent the god of the Nile. Which, if you look at the Nile, it looks like a serpent because of the way it flows up to the headwaters looks like um, a cobra. That's really wild. Um, and a good point about how the water signs kind of all, well, not all of them, but that how there's a concentration of water signs there. Uh, there's also some interesting biblical passages. One I can think of is when Christ is telling his disciples where to meet him after the Passover, or, or excuse me, for the Passover meal, rather. And uh, he talks about that they would notice a man carrying a pitcher of water Mm -hmm. follow him into the house <laughs> so it kind of reminds me of aquarius there as well um yeah that's pretty fast and the heel of aquarius uh is very important too because part of that curse with the serpent um includes the woman's seed crushing the head of the serpent and the serpent bruises her heel but she'll crush its head so and you'll find the royal star fumohout for the the primary star of aquarius is actually located in the heel so mm -hmm. i think that's another interesting thing to note oh yeah muska that's the fly the uh, where our aries and the fly are pretty close together um so this I was reading last night about the zodiac sign of Aries, um, which we talked about earlier, how Aries was like the first zodiac sign. It's about new beginnings. They would uh, have children, they would consummate relationships in July so that way they could have babies in the zodiac of Aries. Um, so it's, it goes to say, this is the start of the astrological new year, so what better time to begin a new series of the myths behind the zodiac? Aries as cardinal fire is all about new beginnings, so that fire energy, right? Um, so we, we talked about the fiery serpent, so maybe that's that fiery energy. And Aries is a masculine sign and ruled by the planet Mars. It is balanced and completed by the opposite sign of Libra, ruled by Venus. Aries brings new ideas and a new hope, the rising of spring after a hard winter. Like all fire signs, Aries tends to mythologize himself and he wants to be the hero of his own story. Aries is a crusader with a righteous vision of life. Where there's a mission or cause to be fought for, or you'll find Ares. Armor glinting in the sunshine, the Ares myth is about the future and vanquishing the enemy, doing the noble deed with passion and advent adventure. Let's see where the Ares drive and energy comes from. In the summer, Aries, the Ares constellation is the ram, and this gives us the first meaning of the sign, fertility. The ram is a symbol of virility, and the renewal of the life force. And to find the source of this image, we have to go back before the dawn of language in Sumer. There's a cylinder seal dated to 3500 BCE 
that shows two rams standing on a mound from which rises a double-headed serpent. Between the rams is a flower, and standing on their backs is an eagle. The drama playing out on the seal depicts the cycle of life and a renewal through death. The rams look like they're about to eat the flower, and the serpent is about to bite the rams, while the eagle pounces from above. All these symbols relate to the ancient goddess cultures and later become associated with the Sumerian god Damuzi, consort of the goddess Inanna. Um, originally, the fertility of Earth came directly from mother goddesses, but this evolved into the inclusion of a male consort. So the Aries ram is really a dual symbol, the ram and the you, the goddess and her son, consort. This reminds me of some Mary and Jesus action, action right here. Male virility and fertility worked in service of the goddess and in harmony with the natural cycles of life. This was achieved through annual ritual of the sacred marriage in spring, where the goddess bestowed kingship on her chosen candidate. There's evidence for this in the Sumerian cultic love songs and myths, but it is not clear if the ritual was performed in real life. Either way, by uniting with the goddess, the king was given the power to ensure fertility to the land. Damuzi, the shepherd, and the Sumerian god of vegetation and livestock, often depicted with his flock. He was also responsible for the abundance of dates, which were grown all year round, sometimes thought to be the fruit from the tree of life another symbol of the great goddess. She's everywhere. As mentioned, the Muzi is the consort of Inanna, queen of heaven and goddess of fertility, war and thunderstorms. She was also identified with Venus as the morning and evening stars and shares many characteristics with the goddesses who came after her, Ishtar, Ashtoreth, Astarte, and Aphrodite. Inanna is often depicted with lions, so perhaps belongs under the sign of Leo, but she also embodies many personality traits of Aries. She's a force of nature and endless fertile, endlessly fertile, a source of great creative power, although her main focus is fertility, is not in the spirit of nurturing mother goddess. Inanna is the fierce and independent. She's impetuous, willful, and clever with an unstoppable erotic drive. She never takes no for an answer and always seeking further conquests to get more power for herself. In one myth, she steals the gifts of civilization from Enki and gets away with it. She rampages around, shagging anything that moves, and pretty much does whatever she wants until her dark sister, Arishigal, teaches her a lesson. This is the descent of Inanna, where she attempts to gate crash. The underworld and extends her power over the dead only to end up a corpse herself. It's often thought that Inanna goes down into the realm of the dead to rescue her lover Demuzi. But that interpretation comes from later fragmentary myths based on the original Sumerian tale. In fact, she allows Demuzi to be dragged into the underworld because he doesn't mourn her death while she's gone. Uh, Joseph Campbell says Inanna embodies the pre-patriarchal imperious manner of the earlier matriarchs maybe but her purpose is to keep life moving even if that means tra transgressing a few boundaries and stepping on a few toes 
She isn't averse to causing fights and battles were sometimes called the dance of Inanna. Um, war doesn't appear to have much to do with fertility and the continuation of life. What with all the king killing and death, but in ancient belief system, blood is the source of life. To spill blood is to fertilize the land. So a battle becomes a mass sacrifice. If you want abundance, something must be given in return. A sacrifice must be made. The corn or wheat is sacrificed to produce the crop. The seeds are killed, threshed to produce the bread of life. The muzi plays his part in the cycle too, as good as god of vegetation. He spends half the year in the underworld and returns to ensure the fertility of the land. A reminder that life depends on death and can only be renewed through the sacrifice of old, worn-out forms. In other words, life is always changing and becoming something new. In Egypt, Ares is associated with Amun, Amun and his consort Amunet, who together represent the life force of the universe. The pyramid texts describe Amun as the primeval creator and a symbol of creative power. His name means the hidden one, and he's the force behind the invisible wind. Amun is also called he who abides in all things, and ultimately all Egyptian gods were seen as aspects of this one god. So Amun, Amunet, as a dual nature that embodies the masculine and feminine sides of creation, this means Amun is self-creating and can take many forms. This is important. Sometimes he's seen as the great cackler, the goose who honked the first sound, the word, and so gave birth to the universe. Sometimes he lays the world egg or fertilizes the egg in his form as Kemetef, the serpent. Kemetef is the primeval one of the two lands who made himself and rose from the watery abyss at the beginning of creation. During the new kingdom, Amun was synchronized with the sun god Ra, becoming Amun-Ra, and was often depicted with a ram's head. In this form, he represented fertility and was responsible for the regeneration of life at the start of the year in the spring. The older symbols of Amun should be familiar as representations of the goddess, the mound, or the world egg, the serpent, and a bird. In this case, they contain the opposites within, within them and so point back to an older source. There's also an interesting connection with the Vedic astrology, which gives Aries a similar meaning to that of a moon. Um, here, Aries is Misha, which means ram or sheep, but Misha is also called Aja, which means unborn, or the unmanifest potential of life bursting to come into existence. Misha is creative energy of future possibilities, vitality, and life force. In the horoscope, the conscious self is birthed in Aries and the first house from the unconscious watery depths of Pisces and the twelfth house. This represents a movement from source to manifestation, from collective to individual, from the oceanic bliss to the womb to the terrors of birth and life in the world. It goes on to talk about Greece 
the connection with Amun and Zeus, the king of the gods and ruler of thunder, lightning, and storms. He has immense phallic power and is always on the hunt for the new erotic conquest, a bit like Inanna. Zeus is also the god of illumination and enlightenment, which links him to Yahweh of the Old Testament. This reveals the intellectual and visionary side of Ares. It's not all about fighting. In the astrology of fate, Liz Green uh, says she's seen more Aries types who are dedicated to mental and spiritual enlightenment than the traditional pugnacious sportsman Aries who live for physical combat. Aries is also associated with the golden ram who rescued Phrixus and Hele, the children of King Athamas. After his ex-wife tried to kill him, the ram carried the children away on his back, but Hele couldn't hold on, fell to her death. Phrixus survived and sacrificed the ram to Zeus in gratitude. The golden fleece was then hung in the sacred grove where it was guarded by a dragon or serpent. So the grove belonged to the goddess. Or again, I'm going to stop there. Um, but I found this whole thing to be interesting about Ares and uh, this idea of Kemetef, the serpent, the primeval one of two lands, who made himself and rose from the watery abyss at the beginning of creation. It almost, so this is kind of my speculation on it, is what if God created his opposite to basically do his bidding for him? or created his opposite because he wanted to be all good or whatever or this idea of having to split himself into two um because one could not exist uh in anything unless you create a second one this goes into like the idea of the vesica pisces and if there's only a singularity at one time and he has to create a second circle then he creates the atom, which is the second circle. But then he realizes he needs something else to create creation. So he takes one of the arcs of Adam, the circle of Adam, and brings it closer to him, pulling out his rib and creates the Vesica Pisces, which is now the combination of two male energies creating this one feminine energy. Uh, which is pretty much all of where all life comes from, which is like the waters, right? Eve is named after the life waters. Um, so that's kind of a little bit that I wanted to share with you guys. What do you think? <laughs> I know kind of where lot. my mind goes is I wonder if there is something to be said about uh, this like serpentine being that we see already existing in like the primordial waters because we see that um, God created things and was saying it's good, it is good, it is good. Perhaps the there was something already here like the God of waters or whatever uh, that was separate. And one thing that, another thing that stood out to me is it, it like made itself or whatever. And I think that the system that God put in place, the perfect system, is that the new life is made out of love, right? Uh, that's kind of how it works. Like when you love someone, you get together and you make life. Um, that's how it should work. But then we see it perverted 
And it almost seems like we see a push nowadays towards getting away from that and being able to make life again without love. Point. And I think that that is going to be, again, perhaps detrimental to society in a lot of ways. I mean, I'd, I'd be curious to see how, you know, how life forms that were made without love act. It'll, it'll be interesting to see. So I, I don't know if that's anywhere where your mind was going, Dan, but that, those are the thoughts that came to my head as you were well, reading. Aren't we all proof of that? Uh, because we uh, seemingly were not created with love because we're not all descendant of Abel. We're all uh, descendant of the original sin, right? Well, just the act, right? Like, you know, outside of like um, forcefully, you know, putting yourself on a woman or something, the, the general way it works is when you love someone, you you get together and then you make life, right? So I think that act alone is like, okay, we know that there is this affection, this passion, this love that is creating life. But when we start making like test two babies and things that are outside of that natural way of things, it's um, unnatural. Yeah, I don't know. It'll be, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, right? Uh, it's more like a snake, how a snake makes life is, I mean, I don't know too much about it, but that's kind of where my mind is going. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, this was more uh, to say like uh, there's a, a strong Aries connection uh, to this whole uh, Garden of Eden thing and uh, taking the celestial elements of the, the river above and um, the center of the Milky Way galaxy being like the the tree of life and having the rivers flow from it. Um, it brought up the Pegasus and, and the Aquarius constellation. And um, I guess this is where I'll bring up Amuamua, uh, the the thing uh, in space that came in close contact with Earth. Um, not really that close, really far away, but still close. Uh, it said when it came, turned brown and went back on its orbit, it was heading towards the Pegasus Square. And the Pegasus Square was sometimes, um, could you could take that for the garden of eden being that the four rivers were actually the four legs of pegasus the flying horse and that is the motion of the galaxy so uh when i saw this amuamua thing i thought maybe because it's a long cylinder that it's kind of serpentine like and it's showing you that the serpent is coming back and returning back to the garden and so I thought that was a kind of another interesting take on the whole thing, and this whole idea. Well, of, what's the uh, what's the symbol of the World Health Organization? The snakes. <laughs> Is it the Caduceus? Yeah, I think it's just the one snake, right? Oh, it's not a Caduceus. It's the rod of a Shipolis, actually. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh okay. Uh, well, the World Health Organization, that's weird to me because it's who, it's like, who is controlling us? <laughs> Who's in charge? Who? <laughs> who? Who's doing that? Who? 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 Uh, Everybody's always asking who, what? Uh, you like, also mentioned that uh, right there. Inky had a association with the Pegasus constellation, too, yes. and the river, so I, I kind of jumped out at when we were talking about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, there it is. Uh, on the Ada seat. Oh, we'll go back down to iconography. On the 
but well, there we go. On the Ada seat, Inky is depicted with two streams of water flowing into each of his shoulders. One is the Tigris, the other is the Euphrates. So those are two of the four mentioned in Genesis mm-hmm. um, with creation. The other ones would be, um, what was it? Tigris, Euphrates. Mine's kind of going blank right now. But Gishon uh, and Gishon. Yeah, oh yeah, the Gion was another one. And then I, the Pishon, yeah. Okay, so those would be the total four. Mm-hmm. And the Euphrates forms the northern border of Israel. And the Nile would technically form the southern border. So when you see the uh, modern-day flag of Israel with the star and the blue bar on the top and bottom, those two blue bars at the top and bottom represent the water boundaries of the uh, Euphrates and the Nile. Um, one of the other things that you read about in that Aries article that I thought was interesting was the, um, the golden fleece ends up uh, in a tree guarded by a dragon or snake or something like that. So I almost kind of thought of it as like the fruit in the tree with serpent, you know, it kind of brought that imagery back to my mind when you're reading about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the golden ram. It's the pelt. And in a sacred ram. grove, no less, which yep. sounds a lot like the Garden of Eden uh-huh. <laughs> in a way. Yes. And it was guarded by a dragon, which is another interesting thing. Like, why would the garden or serpent be dra- uh, guarding it? Right. Dude. So. What did the ram do? He carried the children away on his back, but he mm-hmm. actually flew. He, he flied. Yeah. Well, what was the constellation by Aries? The fly. Ah. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of weird, dude. Just back. now, didn't even yeah. uh, notice that till just now. So it makes me giggle almost <laughs> how these stories uh, have all these parallels but um there was one other detail that popped out too um yeah with Demuzi. um he's also referred to as the worthless shepherd mm. um you know because nana got rid of him <laughs> but um the worthless shepherd is an archetype in the bible as well that's associated with the idle shepherd one who's not watching over the flock etc um so i think that this is kind of interesting here that um the return of the 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 return of the worthless shepherd would be like the antichrist type figure um one who leads astray so i've often wondered if he's got some type of a connection to uh the antichrist figure that may be the consort of inanna queen of heaven aka whore of babylon um because here yet it said the uh consort queen and consort uh archetype was kind of built into this this aries archetype so i think that's kind of interesting uh one last thing i'll mention in regards to this is that the um the gaelic kings like the high kings of ireland they also wed the uh, some type of feminine spirit, Danu, 
in this case, goddess Dawn or goddess Danu of the rivers. And yeah. the high king would wed her to ensure uh, refertilization of the land or, or, you know, however you want to say it. So I think that that is pretty interesting because the tribe of Dan is kind of typically what we see is responsible for forming that um, religion in that area. So I think they brought it with them from the Middle East where it was probably originally Anana. Definitely. And then they kind of, so Donu might even be Anana in that case for, for all intents and purposes. Uh, worth speculating. The names are synonymous. Uh, Inanna, Donu, Os, Ishtar, Isis, um, even um, some of the other ones that it mentioned in, in here. Uh, Ishtar, Ashtaroth, Astarte, and Aphrodite. So all of them are synonymous uh, with each other because essentially there was only really one queen bee of um, of ancient times, and all of those same ones get configured as the same uh, prototype, basically. It's interesting you mentioned bees because I just learned last night while listening to uh, Interverse podcast Mario was on there and he was talking about the um, scientific uh, classification of bees is hymenoptera and hymen refers to the veil mm. of a virgin and of course veil of a, uh, a bride etc and so there's this very strong feminine aspect associated with bees which we call mm -hmm. i mean bees don't have a king, they have a queen <laughs> so i think it's kind of interesting there the queen of heaven queen bee um the birds and the oh, bees. Oh, last, yes, yes, indeed. Um, and then perhaps another good detail to point out is the fruit of the tree of life was said to be a date here. Mm -hmm. um, dates come from a palm tree, by the way. Um, so I think it's interesting how we we aren't really told anything about the fruit in Genesis that or the type of tree of life. Um. But there, you know, there it is being depicted as a palm tree. Um, now, what's really cool about that is Tamar, who's the mother of, um, who, who like was wed to Judah and founded um, the dynasty. Um, Tamar means palm, I think, or date. So that kind of makes me yeah. think of that um, we, we, so we, it could be that we have the date that's the tree of life and the fig that's the tree of knowledge potentially but yeah i think uh i think you're onto something with the idea of dates uh because as humans we go on dates with uh our significant other whatnot we go on a date and date is also like a measurement of time so uh it, it goes down as like something happened at that point that's a date um so and god has appointed times called muadines which are of course dates yeah exactly so i think this idea of dates is uh pretty pretty cool i think that the palm tree also forms a new frond or branch every month 
So there could be some extra symbolism there. Yeah, with the cycle of women, right? Measuring time in that way, perhaps perhaps you could count the number of branches on a palm and determine what month it was or something like that. Yeah. I also want to go back to this idea of the garden being the center of creation, which would be this planet Earth. And if you look at like the constellations and the zodiac, those would be the things that surround um, Earth, which is Eden in this case. And if you look at the zodiac, it's surrounded by animals and one virgin, which I think could be Eve. And then there was one constellation that got kicked out of the zodiac, so to speak, which was Ophiuchus. Now, I kind of relate this to the fact that it could be Adam because it's outside of the zodiac wheel and it's holding a snake, almost as if uh, he got kicked out with a snake. Um, It's very insightful. Yeah, I was thinking that that maybe had some uh, something going on there too. Whereas, like, because you were, and you look into ancient history, you see this idea of the three circles, like the three circles of Atlantis. You have the center circle, the outer circle, and then the external circle. Well, it's the same thing in the zodiac. You have an inner circle and then two external circles. And seemingly the center point is our location, and we're looking out to those and seeing those. So, um, also the Virgo is the Virgin Mother, right? So it has that kind of connection to those things too, and to Eve. I have a comment on that. Um, yeah. Ophiuchus. So, uh, the number 13 is typically associated with death. Oh, which is, is actually incidentally the 13th tarot card is death i think but um so it could be that because of the serpent's association with death and that and in, in the case of the fall um maybe he, he knew was given that designation but also another thing to point out about ophiuchus is that it's typically uh, what i've read anyway is that the the man figure bearing the serpent is a, a Shippolis, um, who I think is a son of Apollo, perhaps. But uh, a Shippolis's rod is the one we were just talking about being the symbol associated with the World Health Organization. So the very snake on that rod would be the one he's holding. So yeah, it all comes kind of comes full circle or full full your Boris, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> and thirteen is also um, the number of female um, divinity. Uh, Friday the thirteenth. Friday is Freya Day, which is the divine, which is goddess. So it's the goddess day, and then the thirteen is the letter M in the alphabet. And every language mother starts with the letter M. A word for mom that you call your female mother. Uh, so the M has a representation to Mar, Mars also, March. Uh, there's a female representation in uh, maritime, the waters. 
um, all these things. So there's definitely like a, uh, it's become unlucky and considered to be evil. Uh, maybe it has connections back to Eve also with her eating that um, fruit. Um, serpents, by the way, as far as I know, it's the only constellation that's in two parts. So when you're talking yes. about Tiamat earlier being split in two, um, ah. one thing that did come to mind was how serpents is split into serpents kaput, the head, mm -hmm. and serpents kata, the tail. Um, and you also find the corona borealis, which is a crown, uh, at the serpent's head. So again, I think the serpent was trying to steal dominion or, you know, Adam's crown, so to speak. And, uh, and right there it is. <laughs> now, when we were reading Genesis earlier, I think it, when the serpent was cursed, what was the curse? Because here we see what with it, a cattle, it was cursed above all cattle. And here mm -hmm. we have a, bull right there with the snake and also in mithraism there's that iconic relief which this will maybe make a good topic for your art um art depiction or, or art deciphering uh episode nomad but uh in the mithraic um pantheon that has the bull and the snake again so i never really noticed it till tonight <laughs> when we were talking about all these things but the cat the cow and the snake thing seems to pop up a lot and uh i never really noticed that till now and the yeah. mithraic thing the snake is biting the bull i think uh, i could be mistaken about that but uh do you happen to know the name of that or just type in like mithra um, I'm pretty sure I could pretty much guarantee you if you just type in Mithraism and for image search, it'll pop up because it's like the iconic um, image that you would normally see for it. It's like the slaying of the bull. I guess if you were to type that in, that would probably. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Now you got to look closely. Um, it might be a little hard to tell on some of the images that aren't colored, but you can. Uh, yeah they're the one on the far right there you can see the snake biting the bull so that's pretty weird that seems to show up so often across cultures is what i meant to say right oh yeah and the leaping over the bull <laughs> that was an interesting thing i didn't expect that to be there uh that comes from um uh, Atlantis. You mentioned Atlantis a few minutes ago, Dan. And so the leaping over the bulls is what became bullfighting. Um, but that was a tradition from Atlantis. And so the thought is that uh, a bull, what we now know as a papal bull today, is like a divine decree. So the slaying of the bull would be like defiance against divine decrees um or something of that effect yeah it's a little hard to see the snake in that one but but it's 
kind of interesting. Hey, <laughs> mm-hmm. maybe the Mithras character in this case is also Ophiuchus. That's another way to look at it. I never made that connection until now either. <laughs> so food for thought. Yeah. Yeah, just don't eat the tree of the fruit from the tree of knowledge. <laughs> even on this uh depiction here, it has a a cross symbol. Is that another constellation or what is yeah, it's the shield. This uh it's at the bottom there. Um if you scroll down a little bit at the bottom, it says the name of it. The scutum, scutum. Can't pronounce it properly, but that's the shield. Oh. The scutum Sobieski or something. Oh, I don't know about that other part, Sobieski. That that might be another one of the constellations or the full name of it. Yeah, I think that's the full name of it. Um, interesting. But that's is that Taurus though? Does it say that at the top? Could be. Yeah, it says Taurus Paniat uh, Whiskey Serpentarius. I didn't realize Taurus was that close to Ophiuchus. Well, that's strange. What is what is the um, name of that constellation again? Uh, the the cross one. Scutum. Uh, scutum. S c u t u m. And it looks like Sobieski. I don't know if that's part so of it, it says, or not, but uh, it seems like it because then it's separated by a comma after that. The Scutum constellation lies in the southern sky. Its name means the shield in Latin. is the fifth smallest constellation in the sky. Uh, blah, blah. Probably relates to Constantine because he was told in hoc signo in this sign he will conquer. He put the cross on all the shields. Oh. So that particular constellation may not date further back than Constantine. That's just interesting. A he saw this he saw it in the sky right yeah allegedly (laughs) i don't want to defame him but that that is how Uh, the story goes it says uh scutum belongs to the hercules family of constellations Um. oh it's shown a little differently there not with a cross, but like a sunburst. Yeah. Okay, so maybe it's a sun cross, which is that would make a lot of sense then. Mm. Fascinating. The teth, which is a circle with a X. Well, if you tilt that, it's a cross. So kind of that might be the same thing is right by the serpent <laughs> in this <laughs> case so kind of have that relationship there too i really love the constellations for that reason it seems like they have a, a story and i think that creation is probably told in the stars too we're just yeah well like you're sure saying exactly yeah, how it goes. like that one thing you're talking about that the 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 miv thing where how all the letters of yahweh create a man and then that man oh yeah like the celestial body uh, it's the sky it's it, it it's telling the whole story for you it's already written in the stars it's like right? the preordained yeah. destiny of of life and if you can read the stars you can understand uh prophecy and i think well that's, that's the- what was happening until the church took away 
astrology and, and made it an evil thing and that's why prophecy was lost and you weren't able to prophesize after the what year was it 500 bc or something well that's really interesting because again that goes back to like our first episode perhaps of how the maseroth and zodiac is like a baby mobile and the stories were part of an oral tradition where you would you would tell your child these stories before they go to bed you know and before anything was written down it was just passed on mouth you know from mouth um yeah i think it's written in the stars for sure i mean it's an incorruptible calendar as in a sense it's not something man can change or satan can change and um yeah i, I think it has a lot to say and uh in revelation six thirteen, the stars are said to even fall so it would seem that at some point they're destined to fall to earth and the parable of the fig tree that i was talking about earlier that's the actual verse it talks about the stars falling to earth is when it's mentioning that fig tree um being shaken so there's some relationship between that fig tree and the stars falling to earth which i think could also be like our modern day movie stars like the truth coming out finally and they all fall from grace so to speak yes so we know or worship celebrities and things like that yes um, so i think it might even be um figurative in a sense yeah <laughs> and it seems to be happening with interesting timing yeah. <laughs> so it could all be related um i i do have this other thing uh from this is from revelation 12 and it's called the woman and the dragon which has a definitely a oh, yeah. even serpent uh connotation to it and if you listen and think about what we just talked about with the stars i think some more things will start to pop up i think you actually did read this before on like episode one or two or i don't maybe we didn't even record it maybe it was just something that we were all talking about but it says um so revelations 12 the woman and the dragon a great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head she was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth then another sign appeared in heaven an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born she gave birth to a son a male child who ruled over all nations with an iron scepter and her child was snatched up to god and to his throne the woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by god where she might be taken care of for 1260 days the war broke out in heaven michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back but he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven the great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or satan who leads the whole world astray he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, 
Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accused them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their live they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that it is his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with a torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. It's, uh, I don't necessarily think it's speculation, but there's pretty good reason to suggest that this was fulfilled in the night sky on uh, September 23rd, 2017 which of course was just prior to the pandemic because um, mm. the woman clothed in the sun. Well, that's the month of September uh, Virgo would, the sun is in Virgo. The moon is at her feet. Well, the moon was indeed at her feet on the 23rd of September that day, but that's not necessarily unusual. Um, what adds to making it so unusual is that uh, I think in verse three, maybe, it talks about the crown of 12 stars and uh, yeah. And uh, oh, I'm sorry. I must have. Okay. It's in the first verse. So she's got a crown of 12 stars. Well, typically Leo only has nine stars in it. So normally she would only have a crown of nine stars, but here it says 12. Well, again, on nine, two, three, 2017, uh, Mercury, Venus, and Mars were located in Leo while the moon was at her feet, while the sun was in Virgo. So there we got all that now. Well, there's more. <laughs> so then uh, if you look for Jupiter, Jupiter at that time was exiting the legs of Virgo and had been in Virgo for nine months at that point. Well, what makes that so extraordinary is that Jupiter was actually moving through Virgo for four and a half months in retrograde and then moves out of retrograde, coming back toward Earth, but through her legs on that day. So just happened to spend nine months in Virgo. So here she is travailing in birth with all these other things happening at the same time in terms of the depiction. So he's explaining to us a, an astrological event and the man child in this case would be 
Jupiter, so to speak. And uh, well, what's the dragon? Well, down below all that, you then see Saturn sitting and Saturn's typically depicted as a serpent eating its tail or Kronos, which was the figure in the Greek theogony who ate his children all except for Zeus, who mom uh, Rhea tricked him by giving him a stone to eat instead. So I think it's very interesting to compare all that. Um, and then the uh, giving eagle wings to fly away into the wilderness. I think that that is maybe some type of an allusion to the rapture, how God's people are taken. And because then after that comes the persecution and the war. Um, but the tail taking the stars and throwing them to earth. I think that answers my question about Revelation 613 with the stars falling in regards mm -hmm. to the fig tree prophecy. It must coincide with the dragon being cast down and with him come the stars. So <laughs> that to me makes pretty good sense because after all the dragon and the fig tree show up in Genesis, except it's a serpent and the fig. And here we got the dragon again. That's what's so interesting about Revelations too, is it's told, it's not in like a sequential order. It's almost like each chapter is telling its own version of the whole thing. And then you got to kind of take the parts from each chapter and kind of put together the timeline. But if you want to look for a graphic, if you type 923-2017, uh, Revelation 12, that right there should be enough to find the graphic. And so you can see that depiction in the night sky um, and a graphical meme, <laughs> I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Probably one of the most helpful memes ever because I think that woke a lot of people up about what was really going on. Um, in the Aquila myth, uh, the Aquila constellation is uh represented as an eagle and it says in greek mythology aquila is identified as the eagle that carried zeus zeus's thunderbolts and was once dispatched by the god to carry ganymede the young trojan boy zeus desired to olympus to be the cupbearer of the gods um so and I wonder apollo if... and artemis too it carried them to the island of delos yeah so um, then because they were being pursued by hera so then you have this woman being carried by these wings to take her far away from the serpent which if if god is the eagle or uh the zeus or the yahweh uh then taking him away from the serpent to the other side is is kind of almost a reflection of the adam and eve story too i would say by uh casting the serpent out from the heaven or from the eden and so you kind of have like maybe this uh the cyclical nature uh because you can kind of see the same idea repeating itself over and over and over even uh throughout you know the beginnings of genesis and and whatnot you have the same kind of cycle that kind of repeats the same uh, circular flow uh, that keeps going on um, because after you have this fall from Eden then you have the fall of Satan 
and then uh his angels yeah, that man. come and um you know start to take over so you have it's it's super interesting it's very cyclical instead of uh this linear path that of history that we all kind of go by there's a very cyclical nature to everything and what goes around comes around right well and um it's very very rare to find it in one of those graphics that we just looked at but but i have managed to find one i think that shows saturn down below virgo Mm -hmm. normally the meme for some reason excludes that and i think it's just because saturn's kind of hard to see um so you don't often see it in the meme itself but what i think is so interesting to point out is that saturn was located below her feet so the dragon <laughs> it's just as the prophecy said um see again it's it's not depicted here but if you were to look at um sometimes you can find like a slightly bigger photo well saturn would be off to the left down below her feet so pretty cool <laughs> well terrifying too <laughs> but cool nevertheless mm. i have one more and then uh then we can we can go on about whatever you guys want to but what did you draw leviathan with an angle i mean i know that's probably meaning like a fish hook but that's still an interesting way to say it um yeah i don't know how you knew but job 41. <laughs> uh, oh and, and here's a an interesting point to make about leviathan by the way um there is the leviathan gas fields off the coast of israel so and of course there's about to be big war <laughs> over that so I, I think when it's talking about drawing leviathan out it could be like kind of a, a perhaps a reference to fighting over these natural resources which the leviathan gas fields has a lot of interesting and it's right off the coast <laughs> of uh, israel so i don't think it's really been brought out into the open yet in terms of the news because there's so many other things kind of taking the center stage of the news right now but I think here very, very soon, we're going to see the Leviathan gas fields become a point of contention um, among a lot of the nations in the Middle East. Excellent. Uh, you kind of deciphered this before I even read it. <laughs> Sorry, I just but, wanted to point that out because I saw Leviathan. I was triggered. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Uh, Job 41, verse 12. I will not fail to speak of Leviathan's limbs is strength in its graceful graceful form who can strip off its outer coat who can penetrate its double coat of armor who dares open the doors of its mouth ringed about with a fearsome teeth its back has rows of shields tightly sealed together each is so close to the next that no air can pass between they are joined fast to one another they cling together and cannot be parted. His snorting throws out flashes of light. 
Its eyes are like the rays of dawn. Flames stream from its mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from its nostrils as from a boiling pot over burning reeds. Its breath sets coals ablaze and flames dart from its mouth. Strength resides in its neck. Dismay goes before it. The folds of its flesh are tightly joined. They are firm and immovable. Its chest is hard as a rock, hard as a lower milestone. When it rises up, the mighty are terrified. They retreat before its thrashing. The sword that reaches it has no effect, nor does the spear or the dart or the javelin. Iron it treats like straw and bronze like rotten wood. Arrows do not make it flee. Sling stones are like chaff to it. A club seems to but pierce piece of straw. It laughs at the rattling of the lance. Its undersides are jagged pot shards, leaving a trail in the mud like a threshing sledge. It makes the depths churn like a boiling cauldron and stirs up the sea like a pot of ointment. It leaves a glistening wake behind it. One would think the deep had white hair. Nothing on earth is equal. A creature without fear looks down on all that are haughty. It is king over all that are proud. So the interesting thing I thought about here was it talks about pretty much a dragon, right? It's fire breathing. Uh, it's strong. It has scales. Nothing can pierce it. It's strong. Um, this idea of the dragon or the serpent uh, appears again in Job. And so I just wanted to make a point on that. Uh, a lot of people don't like dinosaurs very much, but it seems to be talking about some sort of dragon or some sort of dinosaur-like creature, at least. And uh, to me, I kind of wonder if maybe they existed once at the same time humans and dinosaurs and that's why we get a lot of this kind of dragon or serpent mythology and uh and that they were like the monsters um because there was a time in history where they seemingly seemed to like go around and get rid of these and eradicate them even the flood seemed to be the floodwaters to eradicate these uh monsters from the planet uh, that were causing trouble. But um, so this idea of Nephilim too kind of goes into maybe the whole serpent idea. Maybe there was something that was spawned of these serpent creatures and humans. Um, I know some people talk a lot about crossbreeding chimeras and whatnot. So I wonder, uh, and there's a lot of talk of these serpent bloodlines and everything else. Uh, metaphorically, usually is kind of how I take it. Uh, but maybe, what do you guys think of the literal sense? Did you have something, Joshua? You have your hand up.
You may be muted. Oh, sorry. I forgot to hit the space bar. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry. I don't like to interrupt you guys. So I like to use that little raise hand thing. Um, there is a verse here where it mentions covenant. Can you maybe find, I think it may be verse four. Or I can't quite remember which one it was. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that this is very important because here we're talking about Leviathan and making a covenant with Leviathan. So uh, if you just do like, I got a here. I'll share a link. <laughs> so here in this link, um, this discusses the Abraham Accords and the covenant that they're forming. And, you know, how it connects to the Leviathan gas fields, which I forgot. There's another one beside the Leviathan named Tamar. <laughs> we mentioned Tamar earlier, um, which means dates or palm. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, so anyway, here you can learn about the Abraham Accords and how it connects to the Leviathan gas fields. Like if you even just do a... a uh, a search in this page for Leviathan, you'll see that it pops up. <laughs> so, or ought to. Oh, this is actually a uh, uh, a religious themed article. I didn't realize it had that side to it. So I noticed they kind of put some Bible verses in here. Oh, is Leviathan not showing up in there? It did on my uh, search here. I don't know why it's not in the article. Yeah, I'm not seeing it. Um, here, I'll just grab another one real quick. I just did a real quick search here. While we're getting this ready, though, Dan, what do you think? Do you think this is a physical being or more of a metaphorical one? Uh, yeah, I think it's both. Oh, snap. They're even talking about it being the first fruits of the Abraham Accords. <laughs> it really makes me wonder if these people even read the Bible because it's like, wow, how can you, you know, it's like they're mocking God or something. Hmm. Yeah, I think, um, I think the what is in the sky is also representative on earth. And, um, that it's a reflection uh that we, we are middle earth so the stars above us and the stars below us uh kind of make the sandwich and we are in the middle so we kind of reflect what's going on in the sky and our actions and that's why our personalities are kind of um reflected in the zodiac and the planets uh when they pass through them certain different things happen in your zodiac or in your life uh kind of a, according to these movements of the planets and uh what star you're or what sign you're born under so i think they have a reflection down to us and we kind of almost imitate that in a way because we are the we are the play uh, that plays out in the middle earth so yeah i yeah. think it's i you think, think perhaps when like this when the stars are falling to earth perhaps it's more of like a 
like a soul incarnating here or something like that yeah perhaps i mean uh maybe some different beings are coming down from the heavens that are gonna help us on our journey or uh something or lead us coming, or kind of like in in the essence of um of jesus like if jesus is sent down from the heavens to help guide mankind into a new uh time of peace and prosperity then uh i guess you could kind of think of it like that too like something is happening in the stars where a sign is going to be sent down for us to recognize and to change our ways because we are uh not necessarily us but our governments are fucking over the people so to, um sorry for my language but they are and the people are starting to rise up so I think that's kind of that reflection of, you know, we, uh, everybody's kind of searching for a hero type of thing and nobody's coming to save us. But I think that there is clues to the fact that something is coming or something's on the horizon. Um, people are often talking about Project Bluebeam right now and this idea of an alien invasion and things happening and i'm wondering if maybe that's just to squander the idea of an actual return from an alien being or from a angel or angelic source however you want to think of it is maybe they're trying to hide that by putting this out there as an alien type invasion so that way when people see it happening they won't even believe it and they'll reject it and then we'll reject that prosperity that we were supposed to have and that's kind of like you know i don't know it's, i i'm not too familiar with the bible but i i know enough but it kind of seems like that's what it is it's because i know there's supposed to be a false messiah so i kind of get confused if this is the false one or maybe we have already had the false one and this is kind of um what's going to happen and that's why they're so eager to leave the planet and get off of here because they know that this is coming and they're going to have to um uh get harvested basically because of their indiscretions joshua do you know where it talks about i believe it's in revelation but it, it talks about like the antichrist sort of uh bringing together the rulers of the nations mm. uh, and sort of like protect or like uh, going to the war against jesus essentially who uh, uh, whoever you yeah, no, mainly start seeing the antichrist around oh <laughs> right yeah well there's a corona on that which is the victory laurels they are put on like a victor so yeah i mean i think that's a good point you made um, you start I'm trying to remember the specific verse because it, it talks about it essentially that, like I said, uh, bringing the rulers together. When I read it a long time ago, it reminded me of the Space Force because it seems like they're like uh, putting together these these. They're making us be afraid of what is in space. Yeah. Essentially, we got to protect ourselves against. And so I always envision right? like <laughs> Jesus coming down in the clouds, and then we're thinking that's like an alien, evil invasion. When perhaps it's actually Jesus. Um, that was I was trying to remember the specific verse. I'll have to find it. Mm -hmm. uh, well, you start to hear about the Antichrist mainly in Revelation thirteen, 
Um, but that's more like the mark of the beast and stuff like that. The war with Babylon, like because the Antichrist actually destroys Babylon too, which is interesting. Um, but that happens in chapter 17. So if it's it'd probably be somewhere around 17 and 18, I would think, like where you see the flight yeah. of wars and such. Yeah, I'll have to keep looking at that. But um, did you guys have something else that you wanted to talk about while I look for that? Well, I'd just like to, you know, really emphasize this, what's happening here with this uh, Leviathan and Abraham Accords, because part of the Abraham Accords is also involving the UAE, the United Arab Emirates. And that's where they, I think this month, they just finished the construction of the Abraham house of Abraham. And it's, uh, they're mixing Islam, Christianity, and Judaism into one type of religion. And they're calling it Krishlam. Uh, but you'll find, <laughs> I'm not even kidding, dude. <laughs> and so while the other things are happening, this has been unfolding. Um, but this was part in it. And I know a lot of people are like pro Trump, diehard Trump fans, but we got to remember he created the vaccine. Uh, he also did the Abraham Accords and moved the embassy to Jerusalem. So he's playing a really big part in these mm -hmm. things that wouldn't have ever been able to happen had he not been such a mover and shaker. So I think we should really be paying attention to what's going on in the UAE with the, uh, I think they call it the House of Abraham or something like that. But there's a there's a, ch a Catholic church, which of course is gonna be Roman Catholic. Um, then there's a, a synagogue uh, for the Jews to practice in, and then there's a mosque. Um, now, of course, being a Muslim country, you're not actually allowed to proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah or you know, <laughs> there's a lot of conflicting dogmas there. Uh, so with it being in that country specifically, you know, there's not going to actually be religious freedoms for any of the <laughs> religions that are not Muslim. But that's the whole point of this is that this is that attempt to make peace or to make a covenant. And uh, that's why we're going to see sudden destruction is because we're basically trying to blend two metals together that aren't going to alloy, um, so to speak, just for a metaphor's sake. Um, but yeah, UAE is, is where you'll find that, um, house of Abraham. So it's, it's, it's a, I guess if the Leviathan gas fields are the first fruits <laughs> of the accords, this house of Abraham might be a second or third <laughs> fruit. <laughs> Yeah, definitely starting to see that merging of, of religions uh, start to come to fruition. That seems like they're trying to create that one global religion, right? Yeah, which will be uh, have the Antichrist at its head. And remember, the Antichrist receives a deadly head wound that is healed. Well, what's the curse on the serpent in Genesis? 
that it'll crawl on its belly and that the woman's seed will crush its head. So again, that symbolism with the serpent and the Antichrist seems to mesh really well with a head wound. Also in the Orthodox Church, the holy sees are known as the heads of the church. Um, so I think that's kind of interesting too to note that Leviathan gas fields pretty much lie smack dab in the center of the ancient uh, five holy sees of Rome, Antioch, Jerusalem, Alexandria, and uh, oh, there's one more. <laughs> Sometimes I forget them. Constantinople became one of them. And but now that one is now in Moscow, Russia, which is interesting. Oh, and one more detail concerning that would be that uh, when Christ is talking to the seven churches in Asia and Revelation, he's judging the churches. He's inspecting their fruit, if you will. And there's only two of the seven churches that are found to have good fruit. And that's the church of Philadelphia, which translates to brotherly love. And then there's the church of Smyrna, which is a, fe a female type of fig. So again, the fig thing kind of comes full circle as well with um, a specifically female fig, whereas the male fig is a goat fig. We mentioned goats earlier. You can't eat the male fig. The goat fig is considered naughty <laughs> in the literal sense. Uh, in this article here, um, there's a section of end time prophecies in it, and it's talking about Gog and Magog. It says God brings a number of nations to join together in the battle against Israel. There we Ezekiel go. 38 2 Gog in the land of Magog, the prince, prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, uh, V5, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them. Gomer in the house of Togarma, Togarma from the far north and all its troops, Gog and Magog, have been identified for centuries as Russia. For example, the lex lexi lexography of uh, Jess Aeneas, published in 1812, identified Gagog, Magog as Russia long before Russia became a world power. Persia is widely held to be modern-day Iran, and other nations mentioned most likely Turkey and others in that area. Um, interestingly, uh, there's a giant in England, and his name, and he ruled England, and his name was Gog Magog. Well, they still do a ritual celebration there, uh, but they depict two giants, so they would even name one Gog and the other Magog. And it's interesting too, if you look at the T and O map from way back in the day where it depicts the uh, regions of the earth as Shem, Ham, and Japheth, it depicts Gog and Magog as being basically where the lands of Shem meet the lands of Japheth. And that is roughly um, right. in Turkey, Syria type region, Ukraine, where we're seeing all the wars and conflicts. So the war of Gog and Magog could very well be happening right now as we speak. Because what did uh, Zelensky just say the other day? 
that the United States uh, boys and girls were going to have to start going over there and dying. And before you know it, all of NATO will be sending their troops there. So I think it it's it could very well qualify. But it seems to be like where the lands of Russia or <laughs> excuse me, lands of Shem, which would be the east or paradise, meet Japheth and the lands of Ham. They all kind of converge right there where the Middle East are located. Oh, uh, they're giants, right? Snakes in the sky. Yep. They're giants. I think it all comes back to the giants, man. The giants are such a uh, hidden aspect of our history. But uh, influenza translates to the influence of the stars. But in Italian, Enza means female giant. So, again, this Anana or Babylon type of motif with everybody being injected with Enza, <laughs> her DNA, essentially. We don't know whose DNA that is. <laughs> Interesting. Well, just real quick, uh, I found that verse I was looking for. I think it's uh, Revelations 19.19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. Um, so that was what I was thinking of. And I think previously it said in verse 17, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors of horses and their riders and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. So, yeah, it seems Which like that, there's going to be a... Those are yeah. the same words used to describe those who take the mark, too. Free and slave, right. small and great, etc. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you ever heard the uh, Battle Hymn of the Republic? It's like a not. United States... Uh, American type song. I, I think it might even be, I'm embarrassed to say, I don't know exactly what I'm talking about here, but the words of the song are talking about his truth is marching on. Well, it's so upbeat, <laughs> but when you read it, it's talking about revelation where Christ is like crushing the grapes of wrath under the hooves of his horse and the blood's going all the way up to the bridles and, it's a pretty gory song, actually, but <laughs> it's really upbeat. And I just thought it was kind of cool how our one of our founding songs of the country is actually quite religious in nature. So it makes me wonder what kind of role the United States is playing in this. Oh, dude, let the hero born of woman crush the serpents with his heel. Dude, this is one of my new favorite patriotic songs. <laughs> In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea. That's interesting. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a very unassuming type song because you just kind of hear it and your eyes glaze over, right? And but but when you <laughs> read the lyrics, it like whew, they're going a whole new thing. It's like when you're a kid and you and you hear a song and you don't really know what the words are, but then later on you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, that's fire. Battle Hymn of the Republic by Mrs. Julia Ward Howe. 
there's an eagle and a woman. <laughs> oh, shit. And yet again. And she's got the Jacobian cap on a uh, spear there, too. That's the red cap, which is also Mithraic. Uh, the Mithra picture we had up there earlier. It all, he's always shown with a red cap. The Nomis. This might be a cool way to kind of uh, play us out. We could read this. What do you think? Sure. Yeah. Go for <laughs> Did you guys have anything else though you want to go over? Uh, nope. I just had one last question, and that was, uh, if the aliens come, are you guys going to go with them or stay on the planet? I think we're supposed to bring heaven to earth, so I'm gonna stay here. There uh, is the uh, possibility that maybe we're removed from the earth for a short period of time while all this is hell's breaking loose That's what I and then we're yeah. planted back in israel so i think it's even possible that both could be true um but th- then again we're supposed to walk across the uh rivers and stuff too because like the euphrates is drying up the nile gets dried up um and as destruction comes to israel from the north with the kings of the east because the Euphrates mm. dries up to make way for the kings of the east, which uh, President Xi, um, Putin, um, Erdogan of Turkey, a lot of those folks could very well qualify as kings of the east. So I, I, what I see happening is a lot like what happened with Israel. And I think it's called the Six Day War, where all these nations came against them and they won, but they ran out of ammunition fighting the war. So I think what we'll see is another version of that and it won't be a complete destruction but it will be a humbling experience for what's referred to as jacob um jacob's trouble and then as that's happening in the north his people are supposed to be coming in through the south just like they did in the first exodus so yeah i think we will remain here on earth for the millennial reign there is the possibility that we'll be part of that eagle wing rapture kind of thing. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe we'll just be protected as we're making our way there. I Um, think if we're following Christ and looking towards the Bible and trying to be closer to God, that we'll, we'll know and have discernment in the moment. Uh, But just based off of my uh, understanding right now, if I had to make a choice, it would probably be to stay here. Yeah, man, don't trust the aliens. Uh, <laughs> Especially when the people are trying to take us to space are mad sus. <laughs> yeah, that's kind and of another where, thing where I'm at also. Test their fruit. Yeah. You know, if the exactly. if you say Jesus and they're in a hiss, <laughs> probably not a good sign. Uh so like you shall know them by their fruit, you know, just that would be that would be the first thing I would do would ask them what scripture they know, you know. Because right. if they don't know a lick of scripture, then I wouldn't trust them. But even Satan knows the scripture. Yeah, so, so I don't know about that. I think uh, you'll have an inherent knowing of if they're are, are good or bad, you know, just like a dog yeah. knows that, you know, somebody is a bad person just by the way that they don't pass the sniff test. <laughs> It is written that they uh, even Satan can appear as an angel of light. So no matter how angelic they appear to be, um, I think that's why it's so important that we know 
as much of the word of God as possible because it's going to be a good deception. Of course, it's part of it's knowing that it's coming, right? So we know to look for it. But uh, right. the, the Antichrist version of it, I think they're trying to get ahead of the narrative. They might fake some type of alien deal um, or maybe it's their own lab creations. Who knows? But I think that we'll definitely see a fake version of it for sure. Yeah. Play us out, Nomad. All right. Battle Hymn of the Republic. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the fateful lightings of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. I have seen him in the watchfires of a hundred circling camps. They have builded him as an altar in the evening dews and damps. I can read his righteous sentence by the dim and flaring lamps. His day is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. And his day is marching on. I have read a fiery gospel writ in burnished rows of steel. As ye deal with my contaminers, so with you my grace shall deal. Let the hero born of woman crush the serpent with his heel. Since God is marching on, glory, glory, hallelujah, since God is marching on. He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah, our God is marching on. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free. While God is marching on, glory, glory, hallelujah, while God is marching on. Well, That's awesome, man. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks for bringing that up. That's a beautiful... A newfound appreciation for this uh, song now. Julia Ward Howell. Ow. Shouts out. Shout yeah. out <laughs> to Julia Ward. <laughs> Speaking of shout outs, what do you guys got going on? Nomad. Uh, yeah, you guys can find me. Um, all my stuff. I got new music that just dropped on all the streaming platforms. It's called Nomad's Land. Um, and you can find me and contact me at my website. That's nomad.art. And yeah, I'd love to hear from you if you have anything to add to the conversation or you just want to chat. Thank you, guys. This is great. Joshua. Um, I recently did a segment with Loco Listens. We covered the topic of making the divine masculine divine again <laughs> or something of that nature. And uh, we had several bearded men on the show. It was a, it was a blast. I really enjoyed it. We discussed elements of fatherhood and things of that nature. Um, you can also find me on the, yeah, nice beard, man. I've grown mine out too. It's the longest it's ever been. And uh, so we discussed like, you know, the the aspects of divinity and manhood and things like that um you can also find me on telegram uh i'll also with the weaving spiders welcome um they're every wednesday and saturday although i haven't been on there in a while so uh find me on telegram 
chat me up. If you have any questions about the studies, uh, I'd like to hear the questions. Uh, please comment uh, on any of the videos and we'll try to address your questions. Right. Well, you kind of got reunited reunited with some of the spiders, uh, Benjamin Balderson, Gabriel. Yeah, man. Balderson has seven children. What a blessing. <laughs> I was so shocked. Yeah, man. Wow, I didn't know that. He, I, I told him he was the <laughs> the pater familias from uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? He got a good laugh out of that. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks, guys, for joining me once again. Appreciate it. Love you guys. Um, take care. And to all the listeners, take care out there. Use discernment and follow your heart. Let it guide you. Know what love is. I want to know what love is. Gotta pay attention. Times are getting crazy. Take it easy. Keep your eyes open. It's all love. Have a good one. Bye. Love y'all. Peace. Regenerating, raising my vibration. Curses ending with my generation. Blessings raining. It's a celebration. Go and tell the nation. We're all saved by grace. And I know I ain't boasting. I've been stuck in my ways, man. I'm regenerating, raising my vibration. Curses ending with my generation Blessings raining, it's a celebration Go and tell the nation, we're all saved by grace And I know I ain't boasting I've been stuck in my ways, man I've been stuck in my ways How many days before it's no longer a face God keep giving me grace I'm giving them thanks, I'm giving them praise Giving them thanks, I'm giving them praise I've been stuck in my ways How many days before it's no longer a face God giving me grace I'm giving them praise, giving them thanks Giving them praise, I'm giving them thanks I've been stuck in my ways How many days before it's no longer a face God giving me grace I'm giving them praise, giving them thanks Giving them praise, I'm giving them thanks